Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. So you first. What's astonishing you? Me first. Well, we are in the second week of our summer camp, which is going so great and wonderful. And uh, every morning I am leading the devotions for the kids. And um, I am astonished by the joy of talking about basic things, basic spiritual things with the kids. Um, again, I'm doing the devotions in the morning and I'm not, you know, I'm not typing out any notes. I'm not, it's not even really a talk. I'm just engaging them around mm -hmm. particular things. Uh, it's very short. And so today I started, um, I guess you could call it a series. <laughs> <laughs> It's four words that help them understand the grand narrative of the Bible. So we started talking about the Bible um, itself today. Last week when I met with them and we started the summer camp, I was just giving basic kind of, um, kind of, this is how you behave kind of Bible lessons, right? Uh, here's a scripture about the tongue, and so I want you to be careful about how you talk to each other today. And here's, a, here's the story of the Good Samaritan. And so I said, I want you to look for opportunities to go out of your way to be kind to one another today. Um, and, but this week, I wanted to do more than that, more than here's how I want you to behave kind of devotionals. And so we started this, this series on four words to help you tell the grand narrative of the Bible. Did you use the words grand narrative? I did not. Good job. I, I did not. No. We're, we're talking about God's story. The Bible is mm -hmm. God's story. It is 66 books, but it's one long story. And so um, I really want to give them the big picture of understanding that story. And then for the rest of the summer, we'll look at individual stories in the Bible. And so our first word today was creation. And I was surprised, astonished by their engagement, by what they knew and what they did not know. Um, and it was just a joy and delight to my soul to just sit. I mean, we're all sitting um, um, on chairs. And so I'm, I'm almost eyeball to eyeball um, with them. And I just forgot how much fun it was just to talk to children about spiritual things. Because if you can, if you can unpack something for a child, then, then you know it. Then you, then you got it. Well, and I just think it's fun talking um, about spiritual things with kids because they will still wonder. Well, I mean, adults, I think, you know, we've all been indoctrinated along the way. And so adults tend to be really... Um, scared of saying something wrong mm -hmm. or looking stupid mm -hmm. and if you can create a space like definitely you've created where kids feel safe and accepted and like their belonging is not at stake that then kids will really you know show their excitement their surprise they'll ask questions and engage it as if you know this is this is the the real real and for adults sometimes it's like showing up to make sure that do you believe what I think you should believe? And do I believe what you think you should believe? And it's kind of sometimes a, a more of an identity thing than an actual, um, a test, 
yeah, and a it's, test of belonging, as you would right, say. and it gets more focused on who are you and who am I, as opposed to the big question of, well, who is God and what does it mean? So yeah, it's I mean I when we do Bible school here, I love I teach music with my friend Elizabeth who does the music part, but. I just, you know, then after we've learned whatever song it is for the day, you just sit around with the table, uh, the circle with the kids and just be like, I wonder, like, I wonder what you think about this. I wonder what's important to you. I wonder yeah. what part you wish weren't there. And just, you know, having those just really um, open-ended, brave, curious conversations with kids who don't feel this pressure I think that adults do that like my job is to figure this out as quickly as possible mm -hmm. so it's really lovely yeah. and that's true even for preachers that is especially true for preachers <laughs> I think yes so what's sure. astonishing you um so last week I was at the library where I like to be and um working on putting together um the scriptures for our next worship series which is on the prophets and um and I, I like to, when I go to the library, I mean, my kids make fun of me, but I just usually take a picture of like the books that I'm looking at. And I, I, I do it because I, I do like people in the church just to kind of see some of the, the labor and the thoughts. Like I want them to see that I'm not just standing up on Sunday mornings saying, <laughs> Here's what I, here's what I heard on the news last night, or here's what I feel like this morning. Um, so I'm trying to show some of that and show the engagement um, of conversation with a lot of different um, voices, and um, uh, and so that is not only at the library, but the library is part of it. And um, anyway, so I'm working on this worship series on the prophets, and um, in the the tagline is that prophets are troublemakers because they are um, prophets contrary to popular imagination are not people who predict the future. Mm -hmm. um, prophets are people who speak for God. Um, most usually speak for God to people who are certain they already know um, that that's who the prophets tend to speak to. It's not that in scriptures, the prophets will never go to someone who is um, not a, a member of the faith community Sometimes they will, but most often the prophets come to speak for God to people who are worshiping God. Um, and so, and mostly in scripture, um, they will be talking about justice and idolatry and spoiler alert, it's the same thing, right? <laughs> like when, when the prophets come and talk to people about worshiping idols, what they mean is Often, yes, there's a ritual worship practice that is focused towards another God, and that is a problem. But but m even deeper than that, what the prophets are saying is you believe in and are seeking out um, like blessings and powers and truths that are not of the God of your ancestors, not of the liberating God. Like you are following you, your like the refrain over and over again is the gods of the nations, like the nations, basically you are ordering your life as if your God were not Yahweh, the God who liberated you from slavery in the empire. And so really when the prophets are talking about to telling the people to quit worshiping idols and to come back to the rhythm of justice and kinship and neighbor care, that's the same message. Like what you worship 
shapes your life. And so, um, so the sermon series is just about how prophets are were perceived as troublemakers in their own faith communities. Now, not by everybody, because obviously we have their oracles, we have their speeches. So there was a remnant of people within the community who understood in real time that these people were faithful um, and that they were speaking for God. But the majority of the culture found the prophets to be blasphemous, to be um, divisive, to be... Irritating. Um, yeah, to be a, um, a threat to public safety and law and order and decency. And so, um, you know, they were troublemakers and they were called that explicitly by secular and religious leaders. Um, and that's why, you know, Jesus later on is like, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if, you know, if only you knew what was good for you and you're the city that kills the prophets. And that's... Um, you know, what happened over and over again, they got killed because they did not come and say, hey, everybody, good job. Keep on keeping on. You know, they came to say, hey, there's a problem. You have, you are not listening. You are not hearing the voice of God, even as you worship God. And anyway, so I, I had this image of the books I was studying and the title of the sermon series and a couple of notes. And what was astonishing me was how many folks... Um, who are sort of in my social media world, but not necessarily people of faith, who expressed extreme surprise that a pastor would be preaching a worship series on justice. Like, like we're really like, oh, wow, like how obscure, like how delightful, <laughs> but how strange and obscure. And, and like, oh, that's as if I were doing something really unique as opposed to something completely foundational and orthodox. Um, and I was really astonished by that and saddened by that at how, um, and this will dovetail into a later discussion about how um, the most popular versions of American Christianity are really associated with purity culture and patriarchy and hierarchy and, you know, gender, you know, conforming to gender roles and, um, and, and law and order, <laughs> and that justice is just not understood as a foundational part of the Judeo-Christian tradition. And that is just a, a devastating revelation of the lack of orthodoxy in our communities, that whether people you know, whether we live up to it or not, whether people agree with it or not, if we are doing an accurate job of sharing um, the gospel and the, you know, the Judeo-Christian tradition with our nation, then people should know like, yeah, 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 God won't shut up about justice, right? Like people should know that because that's just, you know, that's not me being woke or liberal. That's just the actual Bible. And the fact that most people think like, oh, what God cares about is did people pray the sinner's prayer and did they have a believer's baptism and um, what version of scripture do they read? Do you believe in women preachers? Are you gay or not? What's your view on sexuality? I mean, that, 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 that these are the things that we have made the main thing mm -hmm. because scripture's main voice calls all people of faith to a radical um, revolution, right? To, to just a, a radical departure um, and resistance to uh, the dominant narrative of 
our culture. But but when you make purity culture <laughs> um, the center, then all of a sudden you can continue to you know, try to earn as much money as you want to earn or get as much power as you want to have. And there's nothing about a bi- a, a biblical faith based on purity culture that's going to disrupt that, right? Um, as long as you are, you know, not having sex with the wrong people, you can basically do anything else you want that's legal. And what the prophets say over and over again is, you know, I don't care what your, what your power, what your authorities, what your human authorities say is legal or illegal, the word of God is your ultimate authority, your ultimate law, and um, calling, again, people of faith back to the covenant. And um, anyway, so I, I was just astonished, again, that people were surprised that a Christian pastor would be preaching about justice. You know, we started this whole um, posting sermons on YouTube journey, what, two, three years ago? And uh, just before the last presidential election, I preached a sermon, posted it on YouTube, entitled, um, I think it was called God's Politics. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember the text. It was either from Amos, Let Justice Roll Down Mm -hmm. Like Waters, or from um, Micah 6.8, God has shown you what is good, but to Mm -hmm. do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And I was amazed the negativity mm-hmm. that, and I just preached the text. Right. I got a couple of emails saying, "I didn't know you were so liberal. Right. I thought, I thought you were a follower of Jesus. I didn't know you were part of the woke liberal mob." I was like, "Wait, justice is here in the text. Not only here in this place, but it's throughout the text." Right. I mean, and I, you know, this is what um, we we focus so much, I think, on um, emotion sometimes. I mean, either, you know, in some parts of the Christian church, it's all about intellectualism. Like, do you accurately understand Reformed theology and tulip? And are you, you know, divining scripture accurately? And do you have your um, your institutions, you know, ordered in a way that is um, impressive to the world? And then in other parts of the body of Christ, it's all about um, emotion or spiritualism, right? So do you, do you have these kinds of manifestations of supernatural presence of God, or do you have this kind of an emotional connection to God an emotional, personal connection of God? And especially when you worship, right. And both of those things are dodges to, it's not that either, either of those folks I are wrong because they're not wrong. It's just that they are making, they are not the main thing. And God's main thing is shalom and restoration and redemption and reconciliation of all creation. And and if you focus just on your intellectual understanding of God or on your emotional or spiritual experience of God, it, that's just such an individualized faith that you can really remain almost completely um, siloed from the, from God's story of what God is doing from beginning through the end of scripture, which is this grand narrative of um, reclaiming. And so in this time when so many people are walking away from the church, this may be a divine opportunity for us to recalibrate according to mm-hmm. scripture. And I'm astonished that so many people who are leaving the church, walking away from Christianity as they've been given it, given it, are still saying, but there's something about 
this Jesus. Mm-hmm. There's something about Jesus, right? That that could be something very exciting and the beginning of a real, a real, real highlight bullprint putting quotation marks, a real revival. Well, and I just think, you know, for people whose fundamental story is a story of resurrection, then we are people who have to understand that death in and of itself is not, well, it's not the end um, and can be a crucible for really glorious new life. And so, um, because we were saying before, like, why is it that people are, surprised to find out that the Bible and the an Orthodox Christian Judeo Christian tradition is about justice. And like, well, because most of our understanding of what churches is shaped by media. And so media is going to go to things that are and this isn't a I, I'm not dissing the media. I'm not critiquing them. It's it's not their job to understand our tradition well. What they understand is American culture. And so you're going to go to things that seem big and impressive. So you're going to go to faith communities that are building big buildings or who have sort of programs that affect large numbers of people efficiently, who are winning awards or are sponsoring lecture series or just doing things that the current contemporary culture will see as impressive um, or or a scandal, right? But the, the people who are really, um, in my opinion, who are really centered on following the gospel call um, out into the margins of community and having solidarity, not even solidarity with the poor, who are, wh- whose community, like when Jesus says the poor will always have with you, Jesus is meaning like, oh, if you're following me, the poor will always be in your community and you will always have a chance to serve them because them will be you and you will be them. And so, you know, the reality is obviously the church has found a way to not have the poor with them. And in fact, to, you know, really weed out the poor altogether. And so, um, so we, I think there are churches that, that are understanding and being led by the spirit to the place of, you know, yeast and mustard seed and prodigal son welcoming and, they're just not going to be a place that you're going to, you know, they're not going to have a marketing campaign to send a direct mailer to your mailbox or, you know, be selling merch that you would run into. Like you're going to have to be led to them by the spirit and that, and I'm not dissing marketing. I'm just saying, you know, you gotta, if you are looking for a shiny, happy church full of impressive things, that's what you're going to find. And then the question is, are those things that are the marker to me of divine presence and power, is that really the God of scripture? And is that really a God who will bring me life or death? Segue alert. <laughs> what are you thinking about? Well, uh, our friend, Nicole Thompson, asked me to watch a documentary uh, called Shiny Happy People. And it blew my mind. Shiny Happy People is a documentary about the Duggar family. Uh, they were made famous by the TLC reality show 19 Kids and Counting uh, that ran from 2008 to 2015. Uh, and when we saw them on this reality show, they were just this nice, conservative, mild-mannered, well-organized family with well-behaved children that was kind of a idealized throwback to the 1950s. 
they are uh, led, this family's led by uh, Jim Bob, Jim mm-hmm. Bob and Michelle Duggar. That's mom and the dad. The family is led by Jim Bob. Well, yes. <laughs> that is technically correct. Well, the I'm... parents are Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar. Uh, they live in northwest Arkansas. Uh, the, the documentary, unlike the reality show, about the family. The documentary takes a look at their background, specifically their um, religious beliefs and the religious group they were a part of. That's called the IBLP, the Institute for Basic Life Principles. Some call it a cult. It's definitely, in my opinion, a distortion of Christianity. Whether you call it a cult or not, it is a distortion of historic Christianity. The IBLP was founded in 1961 by a man named Bill Goddard. Its stated purpose is to, quote, teach the wisdom and truth of scripture as the foundation of everyday life. Okay, I'm I'm rocking with that. Don't have a central location. Basically, they held a bunch of conferences, then sent people back to their churches. In the 80s, it became really popular because they uh, created uh, a homeschool curriculum. Uh, then after that, they created a paramilitary academy for boys called Alert Air Land Resource Emergency Training, which in the docu- documentary I found really strange. But at the heart of what's wrong with this group, and let me say before I go into it, I believe that there have been and are sincere seekers of truth that got caught up in this Mm -hmm. group. Um, But their teachings include, number one, male domination, that patriarchy is the way of God, and they have what they call uh, an umbrella teaching, that everyone needs to be under someone's umbrella of authority. And when you get out from under the umbrella of authority, that's when you receive the displeasure and punishment of God. That's when bad things happen to your life. So if you want your life to go well, if you want it to be successful, you need to have complete, total obedience to the authority that God has placed you under. Submission, yes. Um, and for women, that means you're under the authority of men. First, your father, then your husband. And it is it is not a partnership. <laughs> Marriage is not a partnership. You are, I mean, they talked about um, like the husband's right to discipline wives. And I mean, it was... Including corporal distor- punishment. Yes. Like husbands could turn their wives over their knees and spank them. Yeah, and then make them stand in the corner, right? It's just disturbing. Uh, they also subscribe to the Quiverful movement. Uh, that is, you that God calls you to have as many children as possible, which is why TLC, the Learning Channel, um, focused on this family because 19 kids is not the norm for the uh, uh, average American family. And and they take 
their basis for the quiverful movement from Psalm 19, verse, no, I'm sorry, Psalm 127, uh, which says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And so their philosophy is that God will bless your family by having a bunch of kids, and it is your duty to have as many kids as possible uh, because that is how God is going to use Christians to take over society. And that leads me to the next part of their teaching, which is dominionism, that God has called Christians to take over um, uh, powerful areas and institutions within society. It reminds me of a group that I got mixed up in many years ago that taught this thing called the seven mountains theory, which says that there are seven mountains of culture, uh, things like government and education, entertainment, media, and that the call of Christians was to have as many children as possible so that uh, we could take over those areas. And once Christians take over those uh, areas and institutions within society, then Jesus will come back and establish his kingdom. So first, we have to do that work. And so um, this group, the IBLP, uh, taught that you need to have a lot of kids so that Christians can, can take over uh, society. My... Um, my deep, deep concern walking away from this documentary was that so much I, of what I heard that was disturbing are things that I still hear being taught in many conservative evangelical churches. This idea of, of a covering of male authority Even the idea that Christians, Christians really need to take over the government, not as Jesus said, be salt and light, but take over. I mean, I, I just think there's, there's so many um, deeply American myths embedded in that movement. So, I mean, you, the, the idea that people can own people and that people have a right to own someone else's um, sexuality is just explicit in that understanding of humanity, that a woman's sexuality does not belong to herself. It belongs first to her father and then to her husband. I mean, and this is just straight honor, shame, patriarchal culture. I mean, obviously, I, I want you want to say from the ancient Near East, but I mean, obviously not from, you know, just... I think it, it is a fundamental human um, attempt to get power and control by arranging people in a hierarchy and saying that certain people in the hierarchy were made for freedom and other people in that hierarchy were made for domination. And, uh, you know, and it doesn't you can see how the same kinds of theology that would condone and affirm um, chattel slavery could will go straight to this idea that, yes, some people are not made to be free. They can't handle their freedom. They need to be covered. They need to be protected. And these are just benign ways of saying, no, you don't belong to you. You belong to me. And, and even the idea that, you know, Christians need to seize positions of power. 
power and human authority um, in order to force people to into compliance and force people into relationship with Jesus or, 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 you know, prevent people from having the ability to sin. Um, you know, so we, we basically will set up an empire, um, but we'll do it not for ourselves, but for Jesus. Um, and I think, you know, the big thing that is, you know, not a secret is that, you know, this, this ideology that says some people are fully human, i.e. the fathers and husbands and everyone else is, you know, a varying degrees of a childlike dependent, um, does not, is not conducive to healthy, healthy flourishing for anyone, obviously not for, um, children and women who don't understand their own autonomy, um, but not for men who are essentially taught that they have no limits. Um, and so, you know, the, the, um, one of the things that the documentary, um, reveals or exposes is that these communities, though explicitly founded on purity culture and the idea that sexuality of all people, but especially women need to be tightly controlled, um, is that they're just rife with sexual abuse. Um, and and because men are taught that they have a sexuality that it's not their responsibility to control (laughs) and that, um, women are taught that they don't have any, um, they don't have any right to set any limits for themselves. They have to submit to the person authority over them. And in such a context, um, people, women get abused and men become abusers. And and, we see it over and over again. I mean, it just is, and, and you can't, you, it is easy for us to say, and we see this when we look at, um, you know, mega church scandals or political scandals. What we what we want to say is there's nothing wrong with the system. There's nothing wrong with the ideals. It's just that the people who committed these acts of violence or sin, they, there's something wrong with them. They were bad apples. And, you know, I, I do not say this to excuse anybody for accountability for their actions because people are accountable. But these are systems that are set up to, they, they create um, dangerous situations where it's really hard for people with all of that power and no accountability. Um, it's it's very hard to resist temptation. It's very, when you are fed from the time of birth the lie that your desires are God's desires, then it's really hard to recognize any healthy limit because essentially you're taught that you are God, that God God's sovereignty is expressed in your sovereignty, and so. Um, anything you don't know isn't true. <laughs> and, um, and so there's abuse, not only with the, the man, Bill Gothard, who founded this whole Institute, who is n- now known to have serially abused and exploited and sexually abused young women in, in under his power and control and authority. Um, but also in this family that centered the Duggar family, the oldest son, Mm-hmm. has been I mean is now in prison Correct. for um just pornography and and also the abuse of um women including his own sisters and I I want to say again not to not to uh, I can have compassion um for the fact that the people who are harmed by these systems are not just the women but the men the men's humanity is warped um, 
by this as well. Like people are not made to walk this earth as gods. And, and that's what happens in the system. And I think, you know, people marvel in that when you're watching the document with the original series. And I, I mean, we watched it occasionally when we were young parents, just because you're so overwhelmed by having young children. And then you see this family. And I think on the one hand, you think like, okay, well, I, surely I can handle my two kids because I don't have 19. And the other hand, you think like, gosh, like my kid had a meltdown in the middle of the floor the other day. And, you know, and these people have, you know, 17 kids lining up in rows and their kids never say anything to them, but please and thank you. And yes, ma'am. And there's no need for discipline. There's no, you know, everyone's happy all the time, which is the title. And it is this idea that like actual life is difficult and kids do have tantrums and sometimes you're embarrassed because you're in public and they have a meltdown and it makes you look like you're not a good parent. And, and, and you think like, oh gosh, maybe, maybe they're right. Like maybe it's because I haven't submitted an authority to my husband and that's why my kids don't submit to me. And maybe if I just gave up my freedom and if I gave up my autonomy, what I would purchase um, by that is, you know, order and decency in my family. And, and it starts to sound like a good deal, especially when you, you know, receive a million messages a day that, you know, you're not good enough and you're failing everyone. And I, I, you know, I just think it's really, I don't, um, I, I don't take any pleasure in seeing like the pain and brokenness of this real family, but I do think that it's healthy to say, look, your, your humanity can be visible (laughs) or your humanity can be hidden, but there's no, there's no getting out of being human. And I mean, even that quote from 127 about like, you know, happy is the man whose, you know, children are like what the weapons of a man of their youth to say like, children are not weapons. I mean, like there's this fundamental premise of, and again, like this is the problem with not understanding the Bible in context, right? I mean, you can understand that for people whose history, whose ancestral history is enslavement in Egypt when by imperial fiat their boys infant boys had to be killed at birth you can understand that there would be a prayer of gratitude that be and explicitly told like these children need to be killed at birth because otherwise the people will become populous and rebel against us right so so you can understand how that prayer is a prayer of deliverance and gratitude in its context but taken out of its context then you just see like oh yeah children are like weapons and i i'm better and safer if I have as many guns as possible. And then you wonder, like, is this a healthy a place for human flourishing if I grow up in a family where children are seen not as people, but as tools and extensions of their parents, owned by their parents and controlled by their parents, made to be used by their parents for their parents' purposes? Like, this is not, this is not going to end well for anyone. So here's the question. Is patriarchy built into the faith, or is it something from outside that's coming in to distort true Christianity? I mean, if, if as I read the Gospels, Jesus is born into a culture where patriarchy was, that was the culture, mm-hmm. and Jesus is explicitly and subversively resisting and reshaping it. So Jesus is not a patriarch. He does not get married. He does not have children. He 
when people come to him and say, oh, your mom and your brothers are outside or like, blessed is your mom who bore you. He says, no, like my family's in this room. The people who hear God's word and obey, they're my family. So Jesus is explicitly challenging and resisting this idea that the only people you need to care about are your blood kin and as strong and as numerous as your blood kin are, that's where your salvation lies. And Jesus is saying no. And he's telling the story of the Good Samaritan. And he's challenging our understanding of not only you're, you're responsible to your family, but you're responsible to your neighbor. And who is your neighbor? It's anyone who's in need. So, you know, this deep, like, antichrist irony that the very teachings of Christ are now being used to prop up and reinforce the system that I believe Jesus came into the world to overturn. Jesus is the upside down kingdom. So when people talk about going back to biblical ideas of marriage or culture or whatever, I'm like, but but the whole the whole revelation of scripture is God entering into human history and saying, not like this, like that. There is another way. And I think that's the big um you know, irony of people saying, oh, the the culture has distorted biblical values and we need to go back to biblical values. Initially, it was the early church that was distorting the cultural values of ethnic hierarchy, gender hierarchy, religious hierarchy, and by creating these communities where people could come in and no longer be defined by their um economic status or their gender status, you know, the the first people called to announce the gospel, the first apostle is Mary at the tomb, right? So this is happening explicitly. And then um, the, the church gets a bite of the apple of power and authority and begins to just tone down and sand down. It's, it's ra- the radical message of Jesus to make it more compatible with the status quo, because all of a sudden, people um, it, people in the church are given the opportunity no longer to be martyrs for the faith, but to be authorities for the faith. And people take it because, you know, the devil's good at his job. I need to stop saying that so much. <laughs> I think of um, a place in scripture, like when Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants but friends like I just think what a what a radical thing for a first century rabbi to say to his disciples right. you, you right. are my friends and to live within the dichotomy of saying Jesus is the son of God yeah. and very God yeah. and also you are my friends and so then to say like oh no we got to get hierarchical again we got it people got to know their place people got to know who's got authority over who I mean if you look at the actual life of Jesus did he tell the truth yes and did he challenge authority? Yes. Did he impose authority on anyone at any time? I mean, did he say, Peter, how dare you tell me not to go to Jerusalem? I'm going to beat you now. I'm going to shun you. I'm going to reject you from the community. Like none of that. Like Jesus is a established a kingdom that was a voluntary kingdom. Um, Jesus didn't threaten anybody. Um, Jesus did not... And this is the sort of the big challenge with um, the Gothard community is this explicit idea of, look, the, you're, the only safe place for you is in the context of this community. Anyone who's not part of this community is 
is demonic and dangerous. And if you don't comply, you are dangerous and we're going to kick you out of this community. So therefore, your most intimate relationships, you're held hostage because if you tell the truth about what's wrong in this community, you will lose access to this community. And this community is not just your church. It's not just your job. It's your parents and your children. So it's really, um, you know, it's really hard to resist. And and I have a tremendous amount of um, just compassion for the young woman who's a member of the Duggar family who shared her experiences because to tell the truth about her own life, she had to break the fundamental rule of that community, which is you honor your mother and father, period. And what honor your mother and father means is you never say anything that anyone else would think was bad about them ever. It doesn't matter what is happening. It matters what it looks like is happening. And when she said, actually, this is what happened to me. This is how I felt. This is, you know, that that's a betrayal. And she risks her access to her family and her whole identity is not as an individual, but it's as a daughter of this man. And so that, you know, that is the big challenge. And Jesus never saw outsiders as threats. In fact, he continually says to people inside the community, you know, look at this person. I've never seen faith like this in all of the people of Israel. He's continually saying to people, I've got other sheep who are not of this fold. So Jesus never says everything that God is doing is doing within the boundary of your eyesight and your vision and your understanding. Jesus is constantly saying, God is more than you know and more than you've experienced. And don't be afraid because I'm with you. And these communities say exactly the opposite. Everything that is not familiar to you is evil and bad and dangerous. And so you can't, you know, don't, don't trust God, trust me. The other day I was reading once again, um, that account where Jesus fed 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. And I don't remember, um, which gospel it is, but one of the four gospels ends that account by saying there were 5,000 men plus the women and children. Mm -hmm. And it's always bothered me. It's like, okay, so why? I mean, we call it the feeding of the 5,000. And the text actually says, like, names, 5,000 men plus the women and children. Why the plus women and children? And I have to confess that it was, like, (laughs) just a few days ago that I think I got it. It's like, Oh, for a first century reader, not a 21st century reader, for a first century reader to read that edition plus the women and children, that would have been absolutely mind-blowing. Wait, so you mean in the presence of a rabbi like Jesus who is teaching, right? And what does a rabbi do? A rabbi teaches the men. Right. What are women and children doing there while the heavy-duty teaching from Rabbi Jesus is going on? That's the astonishing thing. And I, I just got that. And I, but it, it, it's, it says something about how, how patriarchy shapes the way and even blinds you in terms of your own reading of Scripture. I mean, I've, I've read – it's one of my favorite accounts in the New Testament – and I just, I didn't get it until right. recently. I think it's really important, and, and maybe this would be a phrase that would be helpful for people, is to recognize that 
You know, I think the Bible is fundamentally the the truest truth there is outside of Jesus. Right. I mean, I just I have a very high sanctity sanctity view of scripture. I think the Bible is true, but there's a but everything that is in the Bible is not prescriptive. Like some things that, that are so in good. scripture is descriptive, That's right? So, good. so when you see that phrase about, you know, 5,000 men plus the women and children, that you shouldn't read that and then take from it. Okay, from now on, anytime I make a record of something, I'm going to count the men and then just allude to the fact that the women and children are there, but not count them because, you know, they don't matter as much as the men, right? Like that's, it is descriptive of that is how the story was told in those days. Not everything in the scripture is prescriptive, i.e. a recommendation, let's do this. So the parable of the Good Samaritan is prescriptive. It's not, um, potentially, Jesus is telling a story. I don't really have an opinion on if it happened or not, could have happened, but it doesn't have to happen. Jesus is telling a story that reveals a truth. And it's prescriptive. Jesus is literally saying, go and And live like that. But everything that is said in scripture is not prescriptive. So for example, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, when, you know, the, the householder says, would you, would you perhaps like to take my virgin daughters and rape them instead of my guests? This is the Bible describing the way the culture worked in that day. It is not the Bible saying, here's a good thing to do when a mob shows up outside of your house. Here's another uh descriptive text that I think we get wrong all the time and we make it a prescriptive text. In Genesis, after Adam and Eve have disobeyed God and God is is talking to them about it and God is describing what's going to happen as a result of their disobedience, Mm -hmm. God says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Right. The he shall rule over you, many people take and say, see, the Bible says that men, men are, to, are to rule right. over women. And no, God is describing the result of sin in the world, right. not prescribing his will for how we should live. Right. I mean, the reality is men ruling over woman, women is the first description of the curse of the fall it is not men ruling over women is not a sign that oh we have entered fully into the community the kingdom of god and this is the culture of god it's saying no this is actually the culture of fallen humanity and for us to take it and make it say oh it's biblical and so that means it's prescriptive for us and it's sacred and it pleases god when we do this is just just shows how um how little we understand our own sacred texts and this makes sense because you know, people want power. And that is a universal human desires just to say, I, I, I feel safer if I have power over other people, or even if I um, sell my own autonomy to a powerful person in exchange for the promise that they'll control the chaos and ambiguity of, of human life. And so, um, that, you know, that's a, that's a trade that people make to say, I I really don't want to trust in God because that just feels so raw and scary and unsettled. I don't, I don't want to walk by faith. I want to know what's going to happen. Um, and I, and I'm willing to, um, to give, give away some of the freedom that Christ purchased for me 
in order to have control and um, to be protected from uncertainty and risk. And, you know, Jesus did not die so that we could be comfortable or safe, um, but so that we could be truly and gloriously free um, in the power of his resurrection, which includes the power of facing death and facing injustice um, and challenging all the oppressive systems that um, humans build to replace God. Yeah, I think I want to end this part of our conversation by encouraging anyone who is listening to this podcast who is wrestling with the faith right now. You know, so many people have left the church and left Christianity because they see and experience and have been harmed by um, some of these distortions. And if you are wrestling um, with the faith, um, I, I want to encourage you to keep wrestling. I think it is a good thing. I, I, I believe it is the work of the Spirit. I think if you, um, <laughs> as the Scripture says, uh, be not weary in well-doing, you will reap a harvest. If you do not give up, if you keep on wrestling with this angel throughout the night you may you, you may um you may say ouch but you'll come out on the other side uh, with a new name and new understanding and new life with god and so keep wrestling keep wrestling keep wrestling well and i would just say you know that spiritual um everybody talking about heaven ain't going there right and i i think you know just because people say I and I alone am authorized to speak for God and I know what the Bible says and this is what it means. And, you know, everybody who speaks for God doesn't speak for God. And so I'm just saying, like, I think it's really important just to say, am I what is it specifically that feels like it is um, stealing and killing and destroying my life about this faith tradition? And then let me just be open to the question of is this authentic or not? Because I think a lot of times when people are fleeing faith, um, it's, it's actually the Holy Spirit that's dragging them away by the hand to say, like, this is not, this is not of God. This is not, you know, this is not the truth. Um, and so I think, um, you know, people have done terrible, terrible things in, in the name of God. And, and when Jesus talks about, you know, people showing up and saying in his name and saying, I am he, and I'm like, this is happening. Like this isn't, you don't need to speculate about some day in the future where somebody sort of levitates down from outer space. I yeah. mean, like, this yeah. has happened throughout human history, people doing extraordinarily violent and cruel and oppressive things in the name of Jesus, because nobody stands up and does evil and says, hi, I'm, I'm evil outside of a, you know, whatever, a parody of Austin Powers movement, like every person who is a part of evil believes that they are good. Um, So that's, you know, it's just important to recognize that just because somebody says this is Orthodox Christianity, that doesn't mean that it is. Um, And I, the other thing I would want to say about the, um, the quiverful movement, the IBLF, uh, movement is just to note um, that that it, it really is um, closely linked with replacement theory, right? Like one of the reasons yes. that people explicitly want to have lots of children and to obtain places of power in the culture is because they're recognizing that um, the opportunities and positions of power and influence are now not 
solely being reserved for white men. And, you know, when you have had a historic advantage, equity begins to feel like oppression to you sometimes. And so it's just important. I'm not saying everybody in that movement is racist at all, but I'm saying you, you should be able to see the connection between a community that says, you know, men have ultimate power and control, have as many children as you can. Oh, by the way, send your sons to our paramilitary academy. And can we just, again, say anybody that trains a group of people for war in the name of Jesus Christ is is betraying the, that name. But to, to see a line from that to the people in the streets at um, um, why can't, Charlottesville saying, you know, you will not replace us, Jews will not replace us, that, you know, that this is the thing that said we used to have complete cultural authority and we don't anymore. And the people we see coming into positions of influence, um, we don't perceive them as our brothers or our sisters or our neighbors or our kin. We perceive them as others and outsiders and invaders and threats. And that's the explicit language that's being used. And so it's just important that, you know, um, you don't have to be wearing a hood or even conscious of being shaped by white supremacist ideology, which is essentially the ideology that some people are the kind of humans who should have autonomy and power, and other people are the kind of subhumans who ought to know where to get their place in line and how to do what we tell them to do. And, and, um, and that kind of ideology can be attractive to people of all ethnicities, right? And, and so even people who are not white can be attracted to that kind of white supremacist um, ideology when it promises them a certain position of power and wealth and authority and to say like, well, I would rather, you know, be high up on the totem here than again, than to be in the wilderness and really trusting God and not having a clear understanding of where the next mana delivery is coming from or where my security comes from. It's just, um, so. So what are you thinking about? Um, well, sorry, I'm moving back. I'm trying to watch the time. I've been looking for my phone until I found it here in my pocket. Um, <laughs> I, I like everyone else in the world, um, actually really late to the game. Everybody was talking about the submarine last week and I was thinking about oh, yes. freedom of school and I really, I did not understand what was happening. I had not heard the news. Um, but just watching the, um, the tragedy of the Titan submersible unfold, like, everyone else in the world um that there was a uh a for-profit deep ocean exploration company that took a submersible down to explore the ruins of the titanic which i did not realize were so close to the continental u.s um and that while they were down there, and this was, um, you know, really expensive tourist opportunity. So I think everyone on board paid $250,000 to be there. Mm -hmm. And um, the ship was, the submersible was lost um, pretty soon after it went down. And then for five days, people were, were looking, just, you know, lots of people were looking to see if they could recover the, um, this craft and potentially rescue the people on board before they ran out of oxygen. And then um, more recently, people have discovered pieces of the wreckage. And um, now people believe that um, it probably imploded soon after it reached a certain depth. Um, and so... 
Um, the people on board died probably instantaneously. Um, and then lots of people now um, are, are speaking up about the fact that um, the um, entrepreneur who designed this craft and started this business really, um, you know, there, there wasn't any kind of regulation for it. And, and people had shared some concerns about the safety. And he really understood the people who were raising safety concerns as as um, disingenuous that they they were folks who wanted to protect their business and just interests and um, wanted to stop him as an innovator and a disruptor in the industry and um and all I want to say is um I am uh you know the loss of life is tragic period full stop um I just also think it's really important to name the systems that are part of the story, but often unseen, which is people are, we're seeking out these five men um, who had a lot of economic privilege. <laughs> they were very wealthy men, obviously couldn't have been there otherwise. Um, and at the, the same time, there was a boat of 700 migrants um, off the coast of Italy that, that sunk in real time. Um, and the world was watching it. And these refugees, I think a hundred of them survived. And, um, you know, the, the, the resources that were mobilized to try to save and recover these men, um, when people were saying like, we're using the latest technology and we just don't know if we can do it, but we have to try. And in the meantime, there were 700 people drowning in slow motion and everyone knew it. And, and there was this pretend helplessness like there was nothing that anyone can do about it and I just think without taking any any glee at the loss of life because I have none but I do just want to say that tragedy you know it's it's the layers of tragedy that we we consider it a grand quest to go down and and see the wreckage of the Titanic but but not a grand quest for you know, heroic men to try to try to figure out, you know, how can we um, rescue 700 migrants? How can we resettle people who are searching for new life? How can we find a way? Um, you know, I mean, it does make me sad to think of how many people in this country are rationing insulin, which was sold to drug companies for a dollar. And we just say, well, there's nothing we do. We don't have the resources for that, but but we do have the resources to do deep sea exploration. I just, you know, again, this isn't, I'm not advocating for some sort of government program that says people aren't allowed to have more than X amount of money or people aren't allowed to make choices about how they spend their money. I'm not advocating for that. But I am saying we have a moral and spiritual crisis that so many people who sincerely profess to believe in Jesus of Nazareth or or the liberating God of Hebrew scriptures don't don't understand um, the the crisis of this radical lack of equity and power in the world um, and I and again, it's about saying, you know, there are parts of scripture we pay attention to or twist to support our own agenda and parts of scripture that we just ignore and pretend are fairy tales like God's demand that, you know, people don't charge interest to their ken or this demand that people 
return the things that are taken in pledge or that ancestral land is preserved and restored and that there's a grand reset every 50 years. I mean, this is God's design for um, the kingdom of heaven on earth and we, and we ignore it and we just want God to give us safety and freedom no matter what and protect us from the consequence of our actions. And, and, you know, that is, scripture is actually very clear that that's not going to happen um, that God has shown us, O oh mortal, what is good and what is required of us. And that's to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly. And I think, you know, there's no justice um, in a world where 700 people die while the world watches and it doesn't even make headlines and five people get billions of dollars spent on the search for them. And there's no loving kindness in people saying, you know, I don't know what to do with my 250,000 extra dollars, but not, you know, but I'm, but I don't feel like people are entitled to basic health care. Again, I, I just, this isn't a government agenda that I want. This is a, a spiritual revolution that I want people who profess to be followers of, of Jesus, of Yahweh to, to choose for themselves, to learn how to say enough, to learn the lesson of the Omar and say, you know what, I have my daily bread. And so now what I have is beyond what I need and I need to give it to my neighbor and not control how my neighbor uses it by starting a philanthropy, but just to say, hey, my neighbor needs a, a new, um, you know, a new battery for their car. And I want to be a part of a community where I can find that out and just, you know, just do it and not get a breakfast thrown to honor me as a humanitarian. And there's no walking humbly with God um, that, you know, when you have people saying this isn't safe and your answer is, well, you must be lying because it's what I want to do. And therefore <laughs> it must be safe. And I was listening to an interview with his company and they were saying, you know, we are, we are utterly confident that th these, um, the ship will be recovered. It is safe and like, they'll be there. We'll rescue them. And I, I'm not, I'm not mad at the confidence I, and I'm not mad at the hope. I'm just saying like, ultimately there are universal laws of physics that apply to all of us, no matter how much money we have. And, you know, when the Bible says pride goeth before a fall, that's what it means. <laughs> like If you can't understand and you know and there's a deep like tragic unholy demonic irony about these incredibly wealthy people dying as they go to explore the shipwreck of the titanic which was a ship also the latest technology of its time also was told hey this is actually not safe also said we don't need things like lifeboats on board because because the quote not even god himself could sink this ship like there's just this this deep irony but if you live in a world and and this world is if you live in a world that constantly says to certain people you're always right you're never wrong you should be in charge of everything. What you want is what God wants and desires. And what you want for yourself is best for everyone. Like it's really hard then to, um, to recognize your God-given limits that bring you to abundant life. And we are in general are people who just think any limit um, is, is, is an is an act of oppression against me. And so anyway, I've just been thinking about that and just, you know, heard a news story um, yesterday. They were interviewing a woman who's, you know, trying to get treatment for her son who has leukemia in a refugee camp in Syria. 
And the UNHCR says, like, I'm sorry, we can't, you know, we can't provide leukemia treatment for children in refugee camps. And so finally, her husband said, I, I got to get to Germany, because if I can just get to Germany, then Germany will allow us to be reunified as a family. And once we're in Germany, then my son can get chemotherapy to save his life. And so he was on board that ship, right? And just like the human tragedy on tragedy on tragedy that you have people fleeing a war in Syria, which admittedly, or which arguably was started by climate change. Um, they're fleeing to a refugee camp. They cannot get acts. Their son cannot get treated for his cancer, not because it's not treatable, but because of geographically where he is and his ethnicity. And that we pretend that there aren't enough resources to treat every kid with cancer, just some kids with cancer. We pretend that there aren't enough resources to re rescue everyone at sea, just some people at sea. And, and that then her husband, you know, tried to save his son's life and then lost his life uh, on, on that ship. And, you know, to hear the child, you know, recording of the child, you know, asking the question, like, is daddy coming back? And mom, like, no, he, I mean, this is through translation. I mean, it's just, we should be in deep mourning and we should be taking this before the Lord and saying, what does this mean? And I don't think, you know, I, I'm not here for the jokes. I'm not here for mocking anybody, but I am here for saying these, these, you know, God has shown us how to live. And um, just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should be. Yeah. You've really highlighted the need um, to preach justice and for better or worse <coughs> you know as an african-american none of that surprises or shocks me right because i live move and have being in a world that sends me messages subtle and not so subtle that my life is less than um, um, worth less than others. And so when things like this happen, there's almost a feeling of, well, here, here we go again. Yeah. And, and at the same time, it renews my, um, my hope and trust in that grand narrative of scripture, we go back to that again, of not only will there be a people of God scattered throughout the earth as salt and light, living and proclaiming the justice of God and the kingdom of God, but also that great day when not, you know, we all go to heaven, not, not that pie in the sky, you know, by and by, but that great day that scripture promises when creation itself will be made new mm -hmm. and there will be no more tears, no more injustice, no more, uh, there, there will be shalom. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, the radical proclamation of scripture is that the world was made for shalom and that mm -hmm. shalom, true peace is the mutual interdependent flourishing of all people and creation itself. And the, the lie that the world says, the culture says, human culture says is there is scarcity and people are threats and competition, that competition is the way to salvation as opposed to, um, 
neighbor love and shalom and really saying, I, I can't flourish well, until you flourish. And there's a version of Christianity that says, play by the world's rules of scarcity. Mm-hmm. Get what you can. Beat whoever you need to beat. Be better than whoever you need to be better than. But don't break certain ethical rules. Right. So that you can be good with God and go to heaven when you die. And God has set it up in such a way that, you know, there 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 will just be people on the bottom. Make sure you and yours yeah. are not on the bottom. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's the fundamental thing about the umbrella system is this idea that, like, God is punishing everybody all the time. So get under your umbrella so that you can be protected from that. And that is just not – that is not the witness of Scripture. Correct. Um, so, yes. I'm sorry. I, I'm getting distracted because it's camp and I'm getting texts about – afternoon activity and where are people coming about i'm sorry well it was lovely a few moments ago to hear um excited kids i don't know if our listeners heard them uh but excited kids um um, going down the hall yeah coming coming down the hall and coming in from lunch and chanting and so it's good stuff so well we are so grateful that you all were listening and um do you want to tell people what you're preaching on this week since you know i don't know it's it's tuesday and this is probably, okay, don't judge me, but it's probably my least favorite Sunday of the year <laughs> um, because oh. I, I wrestle with the 4th of July as an African-American. The the speech that is in my head is um, Frederick Douglass. What is your 4th of July to the slave? And so I have very ambivalent feelings on the one hand I am very willing to give God thanks for um, this land, this country. And at the same time, I recognize how easy it is to slip into a place of idolatry. Mm-hmm. And I refuse to go there. Well, and I do think like we all need help right now figuring out what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, like, are, are we American Christians? Are we Christian Americans? Mm-hmm. Like, what what is our fundamental identity? And I do think it's just important to recognize that, you know, the kingdom of God does not have geographical boundaries. And so that makes us radically different than um, if your fundamental identity is as a member of a nation or if your fundamental identity is as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And and so, you know, I think that's really helpful and that you can do it without, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing demonic about America that, I mean, there, there, there are human lies that have, have ascendancy and power here, but they're not different than in other places. Any other place. I mean, like, we just have to struggle to be human here, and we would have the same struggle to be human if we had been born in other times and in other places. And so I think, but I think for a long time, the church has done a real disservice to people, with the exception of, honestly, like Jehovah's Witnesses who have said to their people, hey, don't say the Pledge of Allegiance, because you you don't pledge allegiance to the United States of America. You pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ. And the problem is not... It's, it's not that we need to renounce our citizenship um, or hate our country at all, but it's, we ought to understand that there is tension 
And mm-hmm. and if there's not tension, then it is our um, our identity in Christ that is being threatened. So, um, yeah. And you're preaching the prophets. I'm preaching the prophets, so we'll get there. Anyways, well, thank you all so much for listening, and uh, we will talk to you next week. Maybe more or less camp frazzled than we are right now. But um, if you want to find out where Yolando lands on Sunday, you can join um, God's people at Derida Presbyterian Church at 11 a.m. on Sundays. You can go to their website, which is deridachurch.faithlifesites.com. You can take over. <laughs> you can also find us on the Podbean Network as Kate Answers the Door. And you can find what's happening at The Grove at thegrovecharlotte.com. Thanks for listening to us, and we will talk to you next week.